Proverbs chapter 27, I want to begin in verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Take the garment of him who is surety for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he is surety for a seductress. Let's pray together. Father, we just yield our lives to you. We're so grateful for your word. Lord, you tell us if we continue in your word, we're your disciples indeed. Your deep desire for us is to be well grounded in your word so that we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that wicked men and false teachers put out there as truth. Will you help us to not just know the truth, but live it, to be able to share it, be able to share your life with people. Lord, we just pray that you would meet with us supernaturally. We thank you that you already are, you've already made your word powerful. Thank you that we never have to pray, Father, that your, that your word be powerful. It's already as powerful as it needs to be. We just ask for our hearts to be receptive to what you have to say to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning. Help us to commune with you and worship you as we study your eternal word that Jesus, you said, would outlive the heavens and the earth. So we yield our lives to you, our hearts to you. We ask that you set this time aside for your holy use. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Over a dozen times in this chapter, we're, we're instructed on relationships, different references to relationships. And relationships are important, very, very important. There's a lot of things in the future, the near future and far future, Lord willing, that we're going to be doing to help give opportunities for you to build relationships with people in our church. Very important to do that. And for all of us, we need to think about that God has provided certain relationships in our lives. We're told that every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from the Father, Father of, of lights, and in him there's no shadow of turning. So there's relationships that we're wealthy because we have. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Many, some of you have walked with the Lord longer than me. And we re I just look back and I think about all the relationships that I have that I, that, I, that I received as a newer believer, brand new, because I cut all my ties with my friends from my past, inappropriately actually. I didn't let them know what was happening, I didn't communicate, I just was you know, afraid to tell them that they were a bad influence on me, um, and it hurt them. They were like childhood friends. And I've asked for them for forgiveness many, many years ago. And, um, but I burned, I'm 20 years old and I'm burning every bridge, everything, just boom. 
that was, I needed to do that, but I didn't need to do it in the way that I did it, if that makes sense. And, but God provided these relationships. I just think of Garth Adderholt. Um, he's taught here before and took me under his wing, started discipling me. Um, just a very close friend today. Was on staff with him at another church. And just, just the closeness and just the mentoring and the exchange. You know, now we're, we're very, very close like brothers, you know. And I, I, there's all these different friends and, and relationships that God has strategically placed in, in my life. And he just does that with us. And he does it because he knows that we need it. We need to have that. And he's going to talk about so many different relationships and friendships and, you know, all these things. And it's encouraging to us. And maybe you're here and you don't have that. And God, it's not a thing where you should feel guilty or, you, you know, there's no condemnation or anything like that. Um, God, but God wants to do that. And I remember realizing at one point, you know, I can choose my friends now. And I can choose them strategically, judiciously. Like, who's going to bring me up? You know, who's going to bring me up? And who is in my life right now that's bringing me down? That's, that's causing me to go away the wrong direction. Not on purpose, not, not intentionally. But they're, they're, they're taking me away from my relationship with God. And those people need to still be in our lives as, as a way for us to reach out to them, preach the gospel, encourage them, love them, all those things. But we need to have as our main staple, we need to have godly friends. They don't have to be in this fellowship. They can be in another fellowship. But we have to strategically, look, it's been said that, um, you know, you're going in, to be influenced by the people that you're around or you're going to influence the people that you're around. Jesus hung out with sinners. I love that. He was called the friend of sinners. But Jesus was the influencer. He wasn't the influenced they were the ones that were influenced. So I can't say this person in your life, you're an influencer or you're the influence necessarily. You're going to know that better than anybody else. You know what happens when you're around them. You know if they encourage you in your faith, whether they believe the Lord or not. There's people that don't know the Lord that will encourage you in your faith. Well, that's not for me. You know, but, you know, that's good for you. But I, I, I don't want anything to do with that. But I'll encourage you in what you're doing. You know, that's great, but if they're taking you away from it, they're, 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 you know, all these things. So we have to know, am I influenced by this person? Are they influencing me, or am I the influencer? Jesus is always the influencer. And he, he said that it's the sick that need a doctor. So we can't say, because people, some people take this too far. And they're like, well, I need to not have any friends that are unbelievers. <laughs> you know? That's not what God's called us to. How are we going to be salt and light if we don't have friends or relationships that are unbelievers. We have to be able to have those. But again, it has to be in the right proportion, led by the Spirit, and it has to be the right people that are not going to influence us negatively, which means that, of course, I need to be prayed up. I need to be, you know, walking in the Spirit. I need to, you know, all those things. But that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, how he's so faithful to show us as we're open to those things. He starts showing us, this person, you need to reduce your time. This person, you need to increase your time with them, you know, and all of that. And that will have such great dividends in our lives and affect our lives positively. Uh, I can't tell you. So um, I love the fact that he's talking with these relationships. So he begins in verse 1, he says, do not, be, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Wow, this is such good wisdom. God doesn't want us to boast about our plans because we don't know what a, what a day may bring. And, and this is the crazy thing. We start saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you hear people say, Lord willing. You know, James, I'm going to read in a moment, talks about what we should do. But the issue is, and this is the greatest reminder for us, is that we don't know what, what any day may bring. And so we're supposed to be... Um, subservient or surrendered to God's plan for us. Now, James does say, and I believe that he, uh, you know, is thinking of this verse and other verses related to it when he says this in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. He says, come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. 
For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I'm going to read the last verse of those verses again. Therefore, so therefore is telling you, know, what's the therefore? You need to ask the question. What is the therefore therefore? It's connecting to something you just said. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. We quote that verse a lot. And we talk about the sin of omission and the sin of commission. The sin of commission is, some, is something bad that uh, he doesn't want you to do, but you do it. You intentionally do it. And, but the sin of omission is something good that he wants you to do, and you don't do it. So that's the difference. And that's where the verse comes from, the whole idea of the sin of omission the one where it's something that's good and we don't do it comes from is that verse 17 in chapter 4 of James. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's sin. Let's be clear here. It's sin. So we have to understand that he links it, and most people don't bring in this context to understand it. He links the sin of omission with flippantly talking about and assuming that we know what we're going to be doing in the future we're making plans and then worse yet we're now he's saying we're boasting about it we're like bragging about what we're going to do so there's two things that's wrong the the first thing is that we don't know what the future holds he talks about our life being a vapor here today gone tomorrow we don't even know you know it reminds me of Jesus when he talked about the man that had all this wealth and he just kept building bigger barns and making all these plans and he'd say that lesson was you know you you are so foolish because this very day your life is going to be required of you you see we don't know what the future holds boasting about tomorrow is speaking as if our life is our own but it's not if we are surrendered to Christ we're born again we're told in scripture that our life is not our own We've been bought with a price. We were redeemed. Redeemed means to be purchased. We were purchased off the slave market of sin, and he owns us now. When we receive Christ, that transfer of ownership happened. That's what isn't communicated. It should be. That's what, that's what repentance is all about. When, when in Romans chapter 10, when he says, if anyone confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he shall be saved. Jesus, when you're confessing Jesus is Lord, it's not just uttering the words Jesus is Lord. It's, it's recognizing that he is your Lord and he is in control. And that's, you can't repent if you haven't done that in your heart. When you truly repent, you're recognizing he is worthy of your life. You're surrendering your life and you're making a U-turn in the road of life. You're having a change of mind. That's what the word repent means. It means a change of mind. And that change of mind results in a change of direction. If the direction never changed, then the change of mind didn't happen. You don't go down the road and say, you know, oh, I'm going the wrong way. And then you just keep going. (laughs) Just keep going. Don't stop. Just wrong direction, still going. If you keep going, it proves to yourself that you never had a change of mind. You never really realize that you're going the wrong direction. And you don't believe it. Or else you would change. You would turn around. So that's what repentance is about. You're making a U-turn in the road of, of life. And so for us... He's, he's saying, don't think that you're sovereign over your own lives. Because we're not. We're not sovereign over our own lives. He says that our lives are vapors, which we have no control over. And the reality is this, is that we're his. He gets to determine what we do and when we do it. And, and let's just remind ourselves. Most of us know this, but let's remind ourselves that his plan is better than what we can plan. So we're afraid sometimes to trust him with our lives We're afraid to trust him with the future because we don't believe. We can read it all we want. Read, read, read it. But we don't believe that he has our best intentions in mind. That it's best for us to go forward. Yes, it includes suffering. Yes, it includes trials and tribulations. But not doing his plan and not following where he says to go is actually going to make it harder for me. It's going to make it more difficult. There's going to be more trials. There's going to be more suffering. There's going to be more. So, and you're not going to have the confidence. We're not going to have the confidence that 
where all those things he are part of his plan in the sense that he allowed them. And, you know, we want that confidence. So that's why it's so, it plays such a, it wreaks havoc on our lives when we're so back and forth and, and, and we're not just saying, Lord, I want your will at all costs. And, and surrender to him and going forward in his will, you know, he knows that in the context of that, he, we're not going to be perfect, we're going to fail, we're going to fall short. He knows all that. So, like, does it mean that because you fall short and you sin, it doesn't mean that now you're not on that course and you're not going forward. If your heart is generally submitted to him and you're committed to him, you're trusting in him, all those things, you want his will, all of those things, then what's going to happen is he's going to overwhelm the situation, even in our mistakes, and we're going to keep going the right way. So we can trust him. So that's the part that we have to understand is that he's worthy of our trust. And so if I'm not living that way, you know, I'm fixated on tomorrow, this all comes now to how we now we can understand the sin of omission. If we are so focused on tomorrow and our plans and worse yet boasting about those plans, I'm going to be disobedient to what he's telling me to do right now. The good things that he wants me to do, I'm going to miss out on those things. And, and I'm not going to do them, and it's, and it's sin. That's how he connects it. Because I'm going to miss the good things he wants me to do right now because I'm so distracted and focused on the future. We need to be focused. We need to have goals. All that stuff's fine. You know, we need to bring all those things before him and all of that. It's all subject to him when you make those things. But the most important thing is we're living for today. And he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own so we have to take one day at a time and there, there, he talks about planning all those things I'm not saying you don't plan but you just have to have it in the right proportion and, the, and, and not have it distract you so he says there do not boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day may bring forth but one of the things that's encouraging to me is that I know he has grace for whatever a, a day brings he has endless grace for us say I got an amen from in there He has endless grace for us. Whatever we have, he has endless grace. He has an endless heart towards us and love towards us in the context of that. All those things fortify us and strengthen us to do the things and react in the way that we're supposed to react. We don't know what's going to happen. We have all these variables every single day. And he wants us to be anchored in those things that are not variables, which is him. Because he doesn't change. He's immutable. And his word doesn't change. And he has endless grace for us and patience and all these things every day, no matter what we face. And it's so encouraging. And he knows that we need to know that. And and so he says, just trust me and surrender each day. That's why Jesus said to disciples, he said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny deny himself, take up his cross daily, daily. Not take up your cross for next week. I'll take up your cross for next month, next year. I'm going to do that today. You know what? I'm taking up my cross right now for leap year. No, I'm just kidding. Or just, you know, for Groundhog Day. I'm taking up my cross right now for Groundhog Day because I don't want to do it twice. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, just, it's, it's for today. You'll get that on the way home. Um, but, you'll, you know, this grace is for today, and we have to take up our cross and daily, and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a process. It's not a one-time thing where we arrive. Verse 2. Let another man praise you, and not your own mouth. A stranger, and not your own lips. You know, we hear the term, toot your own horn. You know, and with social media now, it's so easy to toot your own horn. And he says, don't do that. Let another man praise you, not, and not your own mouth. You know, I'm, I love football. Follow football, follow the 49ers, all these things, and um, you know, you can hold that against me, whatever. If you're another team, fan of another team, that's fine. Uh, but I'm follow, I don't have an off-season. You know, it's just that's like one of the things that I like to do. It's like a hobby. I'm always checking the news, you know. The preseason games are enjoyable to me. It's like one of the few people that enjoy the preseason games because there's competition with the players that I know about and all these things. So, um, But one of the things with football and other sports is it used to be when someone was interviewed and someone says, hey, are you the best whatever? And they would say, that's not for me to say. That's not for me to say. I'll let others say that. 
That used to be the common answer, but not today. Yeah, I am the best. Yeah, I am, you know, glory to God that I'm the best. You know, and there's like, they're, they're like boasting, like, and here's my chain to prove it, you know, that I believe it or whatever. I want to, first of all, I want to, I want to talk about my Lord and Savior, you know, all that. And then, you know, it's all about them. And, you know, I mean, they're growing. There's baby Christians. I'm not, don't misunderstand me. But the point is, is that there's so much boasting that goes on. And, and we are not supposed to uh, praise ourselves. We're supposed to be humble and, and, and let other people say those things about us. You know, when did Billy Graham ever say he was a great evangelist? When did he ever say he was a man of God? When did he ever, or, you know, he's always saying, talking about the Lord. He didn't even let people call him Dr. Graham or whatever. He always said, just, just call me Billy, you know, or we need prayer. You know, I mean, he just, you need to focus on the Lord. You know, I can't even do it. But, you know, it's just if, always humble Put, you know, self-effacing, putting the po- focus on other people, on the Lord and all that. That's what God's called us to do, is to let others praise us um, if that's going to happen. And then, but this is something that people miss in verse 2. The last part of verse 2 is a stranger and not your own lips. They never quote that. They always quote the other thing. They never quote a stranger and not your own lips. Now let's ask ourselves, how does that happen? How does a stranger say good things about you? Because you're serving a stranger. You're reaching out to strangers. You're, being, you're outreaching to strangers. Have you ever been to a funeral and you have people come up and say, so-and-so, they, they, I didn't even, they didn't even know me and they, at the time, and they did this kind thing for me. They didn't even know me, and then they told me, don't tell anybody. You ever heard that at a funeral? That happens all the time. And, and that's the point, is that we, these people, they... You know, these people that are, are being respected and all of that, they, they reached out to total strangers. And, and that's how God is. God is reaching out. I mean, all through the law, man, you study the law and you study all these things. He's always talking about having compassion on the stranger. The person that's among you that's not from your land. You, you know, have hospitality, all these things. You know, let them feel welcome and everything. And and, and as a result of that, they're going to be the ones that say how great you are or whatever. Let them, do, I mean, you, that's not why you do things, but if anyone's going to be doing it, it's going to be them, even strangers. Verse 3. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. So a stone is heavy. That's true. I mean, you ever as a kid roll stones down big hills? I did that. My aunt had a cabin up in um, above Sonora, way above Sonora, in um, wherever that was, Strawberry. And I would go up there during the summers, and we, my, I could bring a friend, so I'd you know bring my my buddy there, and um, we had way too much free time and not enough supervision. Uh, but you know we were by this hill, and this hill just has all these steep things you know and we're just digging these rocks up and letting them roll down and we didn't know if the highway was down there <laughs> so it was like do, 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 do. let's long pause bam we realized that was the highway we had no idea but these stones are heavy sand is weighty you know these sandbags and all that they're heavy but he says that as heavy as those are a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them so a fool, let's, let's identify a fool. Again, a fool is someone that is, is, is not obeying God's word, is lazy or whatever. And we need to be careful about, you know, unnecessarily engaging someone's wrath. We have to be careful that we're steer clear from those things and try to avoid those things because he's warning us here, a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. And, you know, Gravity makes things heavy, obviously, right? And, and the, the force from things that are heavy cause a big impact. I don't, you know, I'm sure this is review for you. I hope so. Um, and he's saying those things are damaging. And, and what's more damaging is a fool's wrath is heavier than both of these things. So avoid people. They're throwing a tantrum or whatever or a fit or whatever. Get out of there. Uh, go the other way. Get out of their, their influence and their reach. Verse 4, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? 
Anyone into uh, drag racing here? Not like you're doing it on the roads or anything like that, but you know, just watch drag racing, whatever. The funny cars and dragsters and all of that, they, they use nitrous oxide as a fuel. And it's very, very powerful, very, very powerful fuel. And I, think of, I thought of that when I was thinking of this verse because jealousy is a fuel. And jealousy is a fuel that has a lot of power, just like unforgiveness and bitterness has a lot of power in it and can make people fuel a lot of ungodliness. So too, uh, jealousy can do that. And he said, this wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. A torrent is, you know, something that's like a current. You know, those things are, are hard, but who is able to stand before jealousy? And, and, and man, jealousy can can cause a lot of problems and can, and can cause people, can drive people, can be that fuel that drives them to do a lot of ungodly things. And he's warning, he's warning from the receiving end of it to, you know, we maybe do things to cause someone to be jealous, you know, unnecessarily, like we're purposely doing it, um, but to be on guard against people that, um, you know, are jealous because there's no limit to what they'll do. To, to make change things around and all of that, but also to beware of jealousy in our own hearts. James told us in chapter 3, verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So that's true. Where self-seeking and envy, and the reason why he couples those together is because you can't be envious in the sense that it's applied in Scripture for other people. It's, it's really connected to what you want. And it's totally man-centered and you know sinful and all that. But he says, wherever that exists, confusion and every, every, that's the word there, every evil thing are there. We're told in Scripture in Mark chapter 15, verse 10, that the chief priest handed over Jesus to be crucified because of envy. The Jews were told in Acts chapter 13, verse 45, opposed Paul because of envy. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, we're told, For you are still carnal, for where there are evil or envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? This is a church he's writing to. You know, the church of Corinth was one of the most carnal churches in the early church and he writes writes to them and says very harsh things i mean not harsh in the sense of harmful harsh but i mean direct and blunt and things that they needed to hear and they were envious of each other and there was strife and all these things first corinthians 13 verse 4 talking about love love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up so it doesn't envy love doesn't envy when you're thinking about loving someone else you know and that kind of agape love is a supernatural intense love other centered sacrificial love if that's the case you can't be envious of a person and love them at the same time and sacrifice for them it doesn't doesn't happen galatians chapter 5 the lust of the flesh verse 21 envy murderers drunkenness revelries which means parties and the like of which I tell you beforehand just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God he lists envy in there he lists envy it's very it's huge we need to watch out for jealous people we need to be careful about us being jealous of other people because what it can do in our hearts he says here that uh, that this who can stand before jealousy so we have to that's a warning to us regarding those things verse 5 open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful so let's, verse 5 says open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed what does it profit us if someone loves us but doesn't show it what does it profit us it doesn't profit us um, at all and, and so if we have to choose between that and an open rebuke <laughs> we choose an open rebuke so for us we have to demonstrate uh, both I mean it, you know open rebuke in, in, a, in a in the appropriate way there's a way to do that that's not appropriate of course 
But, you know, that if we have to choose, you know, as a, something we would receive, we would definitely re- receive an open rebuke that's better. But, the, you know, let's not, let's demonstrate our love. And he gets to that in verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Very commonly quoted verse in the, in the Bible. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. He's called us to be faithful friends. And when we say the things that people need to hear in love, with the Holy Spirit's timing, all those things have to be present. Those, they may get injured in the sense of hearing things that they don't want to hear, but it's best for them and it's, it, it's what's appropriate for them and, and we need to value those people. When people tell us things that are uncomfortable that we don't want to hear, they're taking a big risk to do that. Don't lash out at them, but receive it. Be able to be, be corrected. Be able, be able to receive correction and be humble and teachable. Even someone that is two days old in the Lord. The Holy Spirit lives in them as much as he lives in us. We have to be able to receive from them. The Holy Spirit speaks to them as well. So we have to recognize that um, we have to be faithful in not just what we say as a friend, but how we receive as a friend. But then notice he says, the beginning of verse 6, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And I just think of Judas, you know, coming up to the Lord Jesus and kissing him. And that's how we're told that he was going to let the, the, the guard there, the, the uh, temple guard, know who, who Jesus, the right, the, the right person, you know, who he was. And kissed him on the cheek. And he's, you know, he says, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I mean, remember, Jesus loved Judas. Jesus demonstrated that love all through his public ministry to him. Doesn't mean that just because, I mean, he had feelings, all those things. I mean, he knew ahead of time, but even if you know someone's going to hurt you ahead of time that you love, it still hurts. So it's so true here. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So beware of expressions of affection when the person's character is not, doesn't line up with those expressions of affection. Because those things could be deceitful. They could be something that's not genuine. So we have to watch out for that. Verse 7. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So when you're, when you're filled with things, just physically, you're, you, you, know, you eat honey, you're, you're full it's like, uh, you know, I've heard that people on holidays overeat, you know, or whatever. I mean, I've experienced that, but, you know, I've heard, um, you know, and you just, I can't take another bite or whatever, and, and, you know, if it's desserts even. Uh, it, it's sweet, I can't, you know, I don't want any more, but he says, to, to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And I, I just think that the main application here is not a spiritual one in the sense of hungry spiritually, um, I honestly believe he's, he's still talking physical here. You know, to, to, to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. People are hungry. Kids come to school hungry. Adults are hungry. People are greater in greater capacities. You know, they're, they're saying that the homelessness in L.A. Is, is at a crisis mode. There's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of families that are on the streets now hungry. We, have to, we can't ignore those needs. We can't ignore the needs of people that are in need and are hungry. So he calls us to be aware of those things. So God can lead us in many different ways on how to feed people. But God loves to feed people physically. I mean, think about the times where they're engaged in a lot of ministries, Jesus' public ministry, and he was concerned about their strength, their physical well-being, and their hunger. And, you know, they're going to pass out. You know, they're not going to make it. They can't go back. There's not far enough, there's not enough time for them to go back and get food. And they were, he was concerned and he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He cares about our physical hunger. And we should care about others. Verse 8. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Wow. There is a mirage that all of us face at times that tempts us to leave where we're called. And women face this, of course, and God addresses that as well. But this scripture is talking about the man. 
Because the man has a different ministry in the home, of course. He's the leader of the home, biblically. He's the leader of the home. And there's such, such implications and consequences, horrible ones, when he leaves his place, when he leaves his calling, when he leaves his family, when he leaves his marriage, when he, all these things. And there's this mirage, and the enemy's always trying to p- paint a picture that makes it look like it, the grass is greener on the other side. But it's not. And so now more than ever, we need men to stay where they're called, to stay faithful, to stay being a man. We don't talk about that in our culture because, unfortunately, there's all this confusion about role, gender roles and you know, all these things. The truth is we need to be, men need to be men. We need to stand up and do the right thing. It's a healthy thing, and if you do it appropriately to tell, if you're a man, to tell another man, especially a young man, to man up, to, to be a man, to, to be a person of integrity, to be a person that works hard, that's dependable, that other people can count on. We don't need to leave our place. And he, notice he says wanders. And he says, like a bird that wanders from its nest. A, a bird's nest is a place that is safety for that bird. It's, it's a place where that bird is providing for chicks, you know, you know, all these things. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of safety. It's a place of influence. All those things. Just like if a bird wanders from its nest, leaves its nest, it leaves so many things that are so important for its survival and where its place is, so too a man who wanders from his place. You know, pray for the men in our church. Pray for the, everyone, but pray for men in our church to stand up and be men. And if you're a man here, and you, I can receive it. So tell me too, you know, to be a man in certain areas, I can, I can take it. Um, I may tell you, this is, you got to do this. This is the, this is a, an appropriate thing for a man. You need to stand up and be a leader. Too often men are afraid to lead. And of course, women participate in some of that, but sometimes not at all. They don't participate in contributing to that problem whatsoever. And the man needs to step up and lead. And, and women, you need to let your husbands lead. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're not, they're going to, you know, there's all those things. How can they learn to lead if you, if they don't make mistakes? What place in life do we um, learn how to do something really well without having the ability to make mistakes? Nowhere. We have to lead. And you're going to, in any place that we're supposed to be submitted, any area, whether it's submitted to government authority, whether it's submitted in, in, in a, in a church environment, whether we're submitted in a marriage or, or a family or for a child or whatever, every place that we're properly submitted, we put ourselves strategically in a place of blessing that God will bless us. But if we're fighting against how we set things up, he's not going to bless us in, to the extent to which he wants to. So we have to be submitted and yielded to that. It doesn't I mean... There's so many things regarding that, but just we got to stay in our place and, and stay in that place by God's grace and not by our own strength, by his grace and all of that. Verse 9, ointment and perfume delight the heart. Little polo, little jacar, I don't know. Chanel, number five, I don't even know. Was there a number one through four? I don't know. Um, delight the heart. Ointment and perfume, I don't want to know about your ointments, so but just the God's word says it delights the heart. And the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. I love that. The sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. We've seen over and over in the book of Proverbs, there is safety in the multitude of counselors. And he just got done saying that, um, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Those people have been strategically placed in our lives or will be as we're open to new relationships and all of that. And we have to value those things and, and, and appreciate those things. But also, who are we that person for? Who are we that faithful friend? Who are we, you know, whose, whose life are we supposed to be sowing into, investing in, and all those things? Look around us. Look for people to be, uh, you know, the right people for us to, to and led by the Spirit to in, invest in. So look at all these relationships and how God is into relationships and, and how he's provided and wants to use, use it in our lives. The sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. 
Verse 10, do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. It's so easy, especially when conflict happens or misunderstanding or we can't be corrected or we don't, we, we don't want to take any kind of counsel or whatever and we can just say, you know what, I, I'm, just, I don't, I'm, forsaking, I'm forsaking my friend because they're telling me something I don't want to hear right now. There are people that are not walking with the Lord and they just denounce all their friends and they just disappear. It's like they got abducted by aliens or something. There are people here that, you know, that are here and, you know, we love them, we're loving on them, and all of a sudden one day they're gone. We have no idea where they're at, you know, and they don't realize how hurtful that is. We've invested in them, we've prayed for them, we've all of that, and they just disappear. It's, it's, and don't think that, that leaders are immune from being hurt by people disappearing. It's very painful. It hurts so much. It's not like... We are just like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter to me, whatever. It does matter. It, does, it matters a lot. It's one of the hardest things that I deal with is, is people leave. You know, we, it's so funny. People leave a job. They say, go, they go around and say goodbye to everybody. They thank them or whatever. And it's, it, you know, it, some, somehow with, with churches, people moving on to their churches, they don't, they don't follow the same thing they do everywhere else. It's just like, boom. Abducted by aliens, gone. Don't know where they went. You know, think about think about who blessed you in that church. Think about what they've sown into your life. Think about how they've prayed for you and helped your family. You're not going to say thank you. You're not going to. And a lot of times, I understand in unhealthy environments, are putting pressure on you to stay. We don't do that. And just because we're not putting pressure on you to stay doesn't mean we don't want you to stay. For one, number two is we care about you and your family. So be, be loving and be appropriate. And yes, there'll be some people that don't know how to handle it. They may say some weird things or whatever. That's, that's just, that's fine. But love on them. Thank them for their influence in your life. Let them thank you for your influence in theirs. Uh, someday I want to, to write a thing about how to leave a church appropriately. Because it needs to be done in love. It needs to be, and, and, and we need to just go through 1 Corinthians 13 and how am I supposed to do that and, and, and be appropriate. That it's so... It's, it's fine. If God's moving you on, great. But just leave appropriately. And, and if there's an issue, I don't know why I got on this, but if there's an issue, make sure that that issue is based in reality and not, you're not assuming that there's some, someone thinks this or, done or whatever. Seek wise counsel related to that. And if, then if you're sure that God's moving you on, let, let people that care about you and they already have a track record of loving you help you understand where it is you, you feel like you're supposed to go, help you with that and help you understand. I've had many, many people like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to go to this place. And like, did you, did you read the doctrinal thing on the website? Did you, did you, do you really believe those things? Because if you do, great, that's for you. If you don't believe those, I mean, obviously we want people to believe the truth, of course. But you know what I mean? If they're convinced that that's the truth, then align with that. Because this is the big picture. Biblically, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel out here. And then we're called to bring them in to be discipled. And I've had people say, well, I don't believe, you know, like these five things, that this, but they have a great whatever, youth ministry, they have a great whatever, children's ministry, or whatever it is that they, they're attracted to, or life groups, or whatever it is. And the, that may be a blessing to you, but think about the people that you're going to be leading to Christ and bringing them into, because they're going to be shaped. They're going to be shaped by that ministry. Maybe you're mature enough to know that these things aren't true, but they're, they're not. And they're going to be turned into whatever they, that church teaches, and you're going to be held accountable. I'm going to be held accountable for that, what we introduced them to, because we're the ones that said go to this church. So you have to think about all those things, and people don't usually do that. So um, let's keep going. And don't forsake your father's friend. So if you have a father and they have a, a godly friend, uh, or even an ungodly friend. You don't want to forsake them. You want to preach the gospel to them. And then he adds in verse 10, uh, nor do go to your brother's house in the day of, of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Because in the day of calamity, this is why we need to know our neighbors. This is why we need to have solid relationships because God wants to use many people that we may not expect to help us on a day of calamity because time is of the essence and we don't have time to go far away if our sibling is far away. We don't have time to do that. We need help right now. And in, instead of allowing the, those things to happen negatively that are, or that need addressing right now, instead of letting them be delayed and being addressed, 
He wants to maybe use someone in your neighborhood or someone close by or something, you know, and so we have to think about that. The issue is things need to be dressed quickly and sometimes a faraway relationship that we have isn't the best thing for it to be dealt with appropriately. Verse 11, my son be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. So he's talking to his son, be wise and make my heart glad. Every father wants their, uh, their son or their daughter to make their heart glad. Every single one. One of the reasons why I wanted youth in here today. Because think about your decisions and how it affects your parents. Think about how you affect them. Don't just have your focus on your own life. You're not an island to yourself. None of us are. Think about how it affects them. Think about how it affects their sleep, their health, Think about your decisions and how it affects other people's lives. Part of growing up is understanding how the rest of our decisions affect others and we get our focus off ourselves so we're not so self-consumed. And that's part of growing up. Make their heart glad so when people, um, you may have an appropriate answer as, an, as a parent to people that uh, are looking down on me based on my children. Verse 12. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. This is interesting. And he, repeat, he repeated this in chapter 22, verse 3. It said the exact same thing. Proverbs 22, verse 3. But I've mentioned this many times. We're not called to face evil head on. We're called to flee. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, flee youthful lusts. Uh, the, the example of that would be um, uh, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. Potiphar's wife wanted to have sex with him. And he said no. And he ran the other way. And he didn't flee. And he went so fast she'd grab for him and grab part of his garment or whatever. You know, I mean, just gone. Just flee. Flee youthful lust. We need to not try to take it head on because our flesh is very easily influenced. And as you start starving your flesh, you start starving your sinful nature, you know, you're, it takes less and less to, to revive the, your, your sinful nature. I've heard it said, you know, you, you're, you know I can starve myself, you know, spirit, you know in, with all that sin and all that and, and cut it all off. And it takes less for it to be all brought up and inflamed and, you know, and all, all of those things. It, it, can, it can go on. They can live on an equivalent of a saltine cracker for a long time. It has, the further you're away from it, the, more, the, the less it takes to have those things just be illuminated in your heart and your mind. So flee useful less. There's no I can handle it. The scripture for this, an, another one, is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So that's the, that's the important verse there. He, let him who thinks he stands, take heed. That means pay attention. That means, that means not just be a victim of things and just let things happen to you, but think ahead and, and like plan for holiness instead of just, because most of us don't plan for sinfulness, but what we do is we don't plan for holiness. So we just kind of, we're like trying to be Switzerland, trying to be neutral, you know, and we're not planning for things ahead of time. You know, Paul wrote and said we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. There's snares, there's traps, there's, there's our weaknesses in our flesh, things that we have a propensity to be engaged in. We need to guard against those things. We need to starve that sinful nature and feed the spirit. And if we're struggling, if you're struggling with temptation more than normal, have more intake, spiritual intake, more reading of God's word, more prayer, more fellowship, all the things that helps us grow. When, I, when I'm being spiritually attacked and I get some doozies, I just go deeper into prayer, deeper into his word, calling up for prayer. I just keep doing that until it subsides. And I, that's, that's worked every single time. It's, it's just amazing how God has solutions for everything that we have to deal with. Moving on here. We did verse 12. Verse 13. Take the garment of him who is surety for a stranger... And hold it in a pledge when he is surety for a seductress. So the, if, I mean, the whole point of these things when he talks about co-signing, you know, being surety. Surety is a co-sign. You're co-signing for someone. It tells us over and over again to not 
cosine for people, to, to let them stand or fall on their own. And if we are unwise with his money, it's all his money, and we, you know, it's, you have to realize, if you, how many times did you give your money at risk and someone else is using that money to co-sign for somebody else? You wouldn't do that very often at all. Well, it's the same. It's his money. We're, we're managers of his money. We need to not co-sign for those things. So, um, but if you are going to do something related to that in terms of just helping someone out or whatever, if you know, it's his money, we need to have some kind of deposit or something that, you know, that's a value to where you know, we, we cover his money and, and we protect his money. He's called us to be great um, um, stewards and all that. Now, I don't know about a seductress, you know, if you're going to be, you know, participating in that. Um, but obviously, no, we're not going to back that up. But, you know, the point is, is that to not risk his money and, and to, uh, to be careful with those, with those things. So um, it's important. So the three main things that I saw here was boasting about tomorrow, beware of being jealous and beware of other people's jealousy, and flee from evil, not take it on directly. And I think that's a good kind of summary of what, of what we've seen. And this is, the, this is the risk here, is if we boast about tomorrow, we're going to be engaged in not doing what we call us to do today. We're going to demonstrate to him that we're sovereign over our lives instead of ourselves, I mean, instead of him. If we're, if we're being jealous or, or engaged in uh, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable related to jealous people, then we're going to suffer as a result of that. He doesn't want that for us. And if we take evil head on and we don't flee from it, we're going to fall. We're, we're going to fall for sure. You're just guaranteeing it's just a matter of time. So we have to guard against those things. Very important. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these 13 verses. Use them for your purposes in our lives. Thank you so much, God, that you are so faithful to give us what we need and you give us all this wisdom lord we want to be surrendered to you in everything i just pray you would encourage your people today that you are for them that you have all the grace every day for whatever they deal with i pray you'd encourage them lord that you're committed to them beyond whatever they could imagine i just pray lord that you'd given them increasing confidence and myself too give me the same thing increasing confidence Lord, that your grace is sufficient for whatever we deal with and that you're always for us. And if you're for us, who can be against us, Lord? So thank you for the encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen.